Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's Back to the Base Shear. This week, this week and this month, we are privileged to learn from Ritz Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Oizer Glickman. Um, Rabbi Glickman has been teaching Halacha and Talmud to Smicha students since 2000 in the Yeshiva University. And uh, he has also taught American legal theory in, in the Cordoza Law School and is affiliated with the program in Jewish law and interdisciplinary studies. Recently, he actually mentioned to me that he is um, also teaching in Stern and teaching philosophy in YU as well. Um, Rabbi Glickman has a very varied background with a BA in philosophy from Columbia, with a graduate degree in philosophy and religion in the University of Toronto, also holding an MBA in finance from Stern Business School of NYU, where he was a university fellow. Um, he was um, previously um, ran a hedge fund, um, is a, was the treasurer to the Canadian Bank of Commerce, and um, um, is now consulting many central banks. Rabbi Glickman gives a shear in Yoridea and in philosophy at YU. Um, he studied originally at Merikaz Zarev, received rabbinic ord um, ordination from leading rabbinic leaders in Israel and the diaspora. It is a great privilege to hear from him in his realm of expertise, one of which is going to be um, Halakha, and business and the interplay between the two sessions. Without much further ado, Rabbi Glickman. Pleasure to be here. Um, it is wonderful to connect uh, with you from Gluck, where the Torah of your yeshiva continues to emanate to our Talmudim both here and around the world. And it is a bracha for me to be in my 16th year of teaching in Reitz. And I thank my Rebbe's, Rabbi Chalap Shlita and Rabbi Tendler Shlita, who brought me with Dr. Lance Blessing to these hallowed halls. Um, I've spent the bulk of these years teaching Cholin, Shulchan Aruch, Shaktaz, and Primagodim in Yeridea. Um, I find that when Talmidim, however, venture out into the world, they often find themselves unprepared in another chalik of Shulchan Aruch, Choshen Amishpat. Many shilas that are directed my way deal with Rebis, which is incidentally in Yeridea, of course, mortgage finance, uh, e-commerce, contracts. And for the past few years, I've been teaching in Yonim and civil law in Sai Sims, which is now a requirement for all students there. We miss, of course, Professor Aaron Levine, Allah Shalom, the pioneer in the application of economics to Halakha. Um, as Talmidim of uh, Maran the Rav, whose personality still towers over our yeshiva, we understand that Halakha is the most reliable source of ethical values in rabbinic literature. Now, even if we cannot always map contemporary business situations one-on-one -on -one to Se'ifim in the Shulchan Aruch, we understand, as the Rav emphasized, that the meta-values, if you will, that should inform the Torah perspective flow from Shas and Poskim. So let's learn a little. The economic reality that informs a good part of the Chumash, Mishnah, and Gemara is radically different from ours. It's agriculturally based. Labor is readily available, and trade is conducted through barter. This complicates the application to contemporary situations since Western economies have been, since the 17th century, almost completely financial. I do a little unit on the changing nature of money in halakha, from uh, being precious metals to fiat money, which is money by 
uh, Gezeira, by the fiat of the government, by the decree of the government, to the electronic money that we see today, to Bitcoin. It's very interesting to see how the halakha um, uh, parallels these developments. Um, by the way, the the difference between the economies of the Chumash, the Mishnah, and the Gemara to our uh, is the presents the challenge for teaching the Bhavas to high school students and laymen. Um, a good deal of the task seems to me to be removing the obstructions to understanding that their experience of economics places in the way. And by the way, the vast misunderstanding of economics in you know our economy. I still marvel at the fact that I asked a number of students to name just one justice on the Supreme Court, just for general knowledge, and the uh, uh, overwhelming um, uh, most common name that was mentioned was Judge Judy. Uh, the Mishnah in the ninth parak of Baba Metziya launches the Gemara's discussion of compensation. Um, uh, in the case of an uncontracted day laborer, the Sechir Yom is unfamiliar to the corporate world since employees are usually paid annually with monthly or bi-monthly paychecks. Now, this is actually not so straightforward from a halakhic point of view. You may be surprised to learn that many employees, indeed most Wall Street employees, particularly those in the front office which generates the profits directly and deals with clients, right, uh, fit a legal category called employees at will. They have no contract and can be let go without cause with limited exceptions like discrimination, racism, ageism, etc. Consultants can fall into this category as well, although there's usually a written agreement for both groups. The closest thing or the easiest example to explain to people about a Sechir Yom is the housekeeper. You've seen in our Jewish neighborhoods the army of Hispanic and African-American women who come each morning and leave late afternoon. There are bus stops in Teaneck, where I live, where a dozen such hardworking women may be standing waiting for the bus each afternoon. The halakha also applies of Sechir Yom to babysitters, by the way, even if they are under the age of majority, that is, they haven't reached mitzvahs yet. So the Mishnah on Baba Metziah Daf Kuf Yud Ahmed Aleph stipulates that the Sechir Yom, a day laborer, gove kol halayla. He collects his wages the evening of the day that he worked. So the Gemara explains in Abraisa that this flows directly from Parshas Kedoshim. Lo tashok et reyecha v'lo tigzol, lo talin pu'ulat sachir itcha ad boker. So from the Pasuk, it's in Perik Yud, uh, Yud Tet, Pasuk Yud Gimel, we can see that postponing payments to an employee is a form of abuse and theft, even though the Chazal attempt to define Oshek versus uh, Lina, uh, the Gemara finally uh, ends up by saying that they're two uh, sides of the same coin, and the reason the Torah gave both prohibitions is in order to obligate us twice. Um, now, if the commitment is only for one day, then you have to pay him or her promptly at the end of that period. That's the force of the Pasuk as explicated in the Brita. The Gemara, however, notes that there are more prohibitions involved. In fact, it notes that there are five to be exact. Mikanamru, Kolakovesh, Sechar Sechir, Over, 
בחמישה שמות הללו. ועשה משום בל תעשוק את רעייך, משום בל תגזול, משום בל תעשוק שכיר עני, ומשום בל תלין, ומשום ביומו תיתן שכרו, ומשום לא תבוא עליו השמש. With such a heavy emphasis, five different prohibitions of delaying compensation past the end of the agreed period of labor, we clearly need to take notice. Now, in popular halakhic parlance, of course, this isur is termed bal talin, don't hold over the, uh, the wages. A review of the shoot literature that I undertook last night demonstrates how seriously poskim have taken bal talin. One complication in application is, as I referenced before, the nature of money in our economy. Now, I have to say that a good posseik needs to be familiar with not just rabbinic literature, but the subtleties of economic realia. In the laws of Rebis, I've actually found poskim who do not understand the nature of securitization and who is actually on the hook for interest payments. This can and lead, has led, to violations of Torah prohibitions. Now, the post scheme associated with our uh, yeshiva, Moran and Rav Schefter and Rav Willichli, to study a situation carefully before forming a halakhic opinion, and they always know the realia behind it. If they don't know it themselves, they find somebody who can teach it to them. I've been consulted by post scheme in Eretz Yisrael, by the way, on the ins and outs of derivatives like options and ETFs and how various dinim in halacha should be applied. But let's focus for the few moments that we have together on a few modern applications that are complicated by the realia of our financial economy. In the Torah's world, payment could be made in kind. That is, the goods or commodities which the worker was helping produce. He's working with sheep, he can take home wool. He's working in a vineyard, he can take home grapes or, or wine. Uh, as a matter of fact, as we see throughout the Gemara, uh, not to make a, a terrible pun, wine is the ultimate liquid asset, not only during the Gemara's time, but as uh, uh, Professor Soloveitchik has uh, observed, through the Middle Ages as well. And a lot of our most important laws of commerce actually flow from the realities of the wine business. Um, it should be noted, of course, that throughout Jewish history, uh, um, Jews were never able to be full participants or very often weren't able to be full participants in the economy because they were not allowed to own land. And this is what pushed us into intermediary type businesses of which wine is one and money lending is another. In our world today, things are different. Payment for many goods and services is now digital. In some halakhic contexts, we need to understand, and in this one in particular, how money hits the employee's account and specifically when. Uh, yesterday, I, I explained how credit card payments actually work in a, in a sugya related in Bab Metzia, related to Situmta, uh, which is the basis for a lot of our modern halakha. A whole host of modern post schemes in the last decades of the 20th century actually wrote about compensation that isn't paid in cash, but sent through the mail. The bottom line, 
the payment mechanism does not obviate the prohibition of Baal Talin. The check is in the mail is not a valid halachic excuse. Unless the employer specifically stipulated at the time of employment that payment would be by mail, and it was clear that the check would arrive more than a day after the completion of the assignment, the employer has violated Baal Talin. Now, direct deposit both improves and exacerbates the situation. Again, unless stipulated and agreed at the time of employment, the cash must hit the employee's account before sunup of the day following the pay period. Electronic payment makes it possible to schedule halachically compliant pay procedures, but it all, while also making the time when funds hit an employee's account objectively obvious, therefore making it even easier to be non-compliant. Now, there's a surprising qualification to the prohibition of Baltalin that appears in the Sugi and Baba Metzia, and I've often been asked about it. Amatai, when does the prohibition against delaying payment come into play? Bisman Shetiva'o, when the worker demanded his compensation from the employer. Lotiva'o, if the employee did not try to collect. Eino Overla, this is a source of great misunderstanding in the Gemara. It surprises us until we remember again the realia of the agricultural economy in the time of the Mishnah. Think of migrant farm workers. They line up at the end of the day to collect their wages in cash from the overseer. What the Mishnah is teaching is that the worker who doesn't come to receive payment hasn't placed the employer in violation of Baltolin. This makes perfect sense when we remember the economic realia. But in our economy, in which payment for contracted workers, even employees at will, is regularly scheduled and not face-to-face, there is an implied tavia or claim on the part of the employee. Delaying payment does indeed place the employer in violation against otherwise agreed, and it doesn't just happen when the employee comes to complain or to collect. Now, I found something very interesting in Shulchan Aruch HaRav. Through my longtime family friend, Rabbi Avraham Shemtov Shlita, I've come to see the wealth of great halachic and hashkafic Torah that has emanated from Chabad. The Shulchan Aruch HaRav, an important halachic work, points out the many places in the Gemara where we see Chachamim appointing Shlichim to do their hiring. This is explained, he says, by their punctiliousness in the observance of Baal Talin, since they themselves might have avoided a literal violation of Baal Talin. What does this mean? So I found explanation in Tosasarit. He explains the Gemara in Parakamakabel, our Parak in Bab-Metziah. When the worker doesn't see the one whom he recognizes as on the hook for his payment, he may have an implicit expectation of not being paid promptly. Now, this makes sense in an economy in which cash was offered for payment right? and where people lined up to receive their cash. In my view, though, particularly as a chassid of Maran Rav Aron Zechotzadik Libracha, I think we need to emphasize the Torah's admonition to do the right and just thing in every circumstance. It's, it's fine to avoid violation of the law, 
but equal effort must be paid to assuring the values embedded in the law are observed. This is, in Rob Lichtenstein's view, the essence of the Torah requirement to act as I often observe, things were much easier before I encountered Rav Aron. Halacha seemed black and white. Now I know we must strive to do the right thing too. What a loss to our community. Now there are many subtleties and nuances in this law of Baal Talim. A good place to start is not only the Gemara and Bab Metziah, but the Minchas Chinuch. In my classes in Sims, I teach the young men and women now what I call the Glickman rule. It's a direct application of what Ralph Lichtenstein called natural morality. You must read, if you haven't, his iconic essay, Does Jewish Tradition Recognize an Ethic Independent of Halakha? Natural morality is the innate sense recognized by Hazal that informed ethics before Matan Torah and must supplement it Ralph Lichtenstein argues now. The Glickman rule states that if you're confronted by a situation where you're not certain if it's right to do something, ask yourself the following question. If I would do this, would I be embarrassed if my mother found out? The answer is yes. Don't do it. That's natural morality. Now, as long as I have so many Talmudian uh, on the call and supporters of our yeshiva, I'd like to share with you one wonderful development. You should feel connected to your yeshiva. A group of honors students requested that I teach a seminar two mornings a week in contemporary Orthodox thinkers. We're reading Rabbi Isaac Breuer's Der Neue Kuzari, then the Rav's Halachic Mind. Our first unit was a review of Kant, so important for both of these thinkers. So you can see that not only am I a poor substitute for Professor Levine, but also for Rabbi Dr. Wurzberger, who we miss as well. But our yeshiva marches on, standing on the shoulders of the giants who once walked its halls. Um, thank you for participating. Let's see if we have any questions. Okay, so we're going to ask now if anybody has any questions for Rabbi Glickman, if you could press the numbers star six. Star six will place you in line, and then we'll be able to answer questions one by one. Hi there. Uh, number. Can you introduce, introduce yourself? Hi, this is Sue Weiss. Um, in connection with this, how does, how does, how does the, these halachas relate to other benefits that the employee gets in terms of prompt payments for them? For example, uh, if the person has health insurance where he or she has to file the claim rather than being paid automatically by the company, does the company have any obligation in terms of ensuring the prompt payment of such claim? Or is there like some, they say, well, since it's not coming from us, you know, it doesn't matter? Uh, it's a very good question. And again, I'm going to distinguish between the um, the right and ethical thing to do, and what the requirements of the plan is. So usually what happens is the employee directly um, contracts with a provider like United Healthcare or somebody or Aetna or somebody like that, and uh, they're the ones that are on the hook for the, uh, for the payment. Um, the fact of the matter, though, in a halakhic culture, 
where Jewish employers were always told that um, you know the uh, um, that that how important it is to um, worry about the welfare of your um, of your employees, where the best wouldn't daven mincha until he had paid his uh, his employees. Um, I think that the right thing to do, if possible, in at least in a private company, would be to um, to worry about the financial strain that um, that health insurance can actually uh, uh, place upon people. Now, in a corporate world, that's not possible and probably isn't holistically uh, recommended because you also need to watch for the corporation's main. Uh, uh, corporate officer's main um, legal responsibility is to watch out for the shareholder wealth, to guard the position of the shareholders, and he can't uh, pay stucca to people with, uh, w- on his own uh, moral sense. So uh, um, it probably wouldn't apply in a, in a corporate setup, but I know private uh, firms where uh, the uh, proprietor goes on a technical level it only applies to the compensation that was agreed for the work period and not for benefits like 401k or uh, or health benefits the reason I ask is because there are some companies that self-insure okay uh, not many but some of them actually do self-insure and therefore it seems and and the and the companies like Aetna or United Healthcare simply manage the program but basically, it's the company's own uh, provisions for healthcare. I have to look into that. Then that's not uh, hasn't been in my corporate experience. In my corporate experience, the only um, self insurance I ever saw was for the uh, the corporation's own um, insurance, where they would set aside capital instead of paying premiums. But you know, let me look into that, and we'll you know distribute an answer. I have to see the terms um, of that. By the way, so much of this, so much of halacha, is defined not only by Dina de Malchusadina, but I was teaching, uh, you know, Kenyan, you know, uh, and Sitomta uh, yesterday in uh, in Shir, and uh, reflect on the uh, words uh, the the uh, um, of the Rashba, who says that in all monetary matters. Um, everything follows minhag hatagarim, which I would translate as being accepted commercial practice in the economy in which you are. And uh, that has, it's not mishum dina the machusadina, it's that that's the takana that the uh, that Chazal did. Um, when you even look into the kinyanim, you'll see that the kinyanim that we do, which are stipulated by the Mishnah, that we have like, uh, you know, kinyan kesef, and we have hagba, meshicha, et cetera, et cetera, the Besa Otsar and the Torah Smicho, all the Achronim and many Rishonim say that they actually don't affect the Kenyan at all. The Kenyan is affected by the Gemiristas of the two parties who resolve to uh, transact with one another. And um, that the, the really the only reason why Halacha accepted the commercial minhag to have formalistic acts of Kenyan was uh, in order to um, to have an outward external sign that would signal that there was Gemiristas because it's a cognitive act to transfer ownership, not a physical or a formal act. If that's true with something like, you know, um, uh, you know, Baltolin, it's also true that the Kinyanim itself established this principle that everything follows commercial practice. So, um, 
I, I throw that out as a you know an adjunct to to my answer. But it's a great question, and um, I'll look into the terms of um, these self insurance programs. And I want to make sure now. If by the way, for sure, if it's stipulated that the um, they have to wait until payment is made by whoever is forwarding the payment, then um, you know that'd be something else. But um, we do distinguish between. Um, payments that are made as benefits and payments that are made as compensation. Uh, by the way, if somebody comes to your house as a workman to work on something and he brings his own materials, his own screws and hammers and tools, et cetera, then that service is viewed as a sale, and it's not a question of baltolin. It's not a question of compensation. It's not a question of hiring. So uh, in a goods and services economy, we can sometimes blur the distinction between compensation and, uh, and uh, merchandising. I hope that answers at least partially what you were asking. Okay, yes. Thank you. We want to thank Rabbi Glickman very much for his time, taking out his time to learn with us today. And we hope that you continue to learn with us on our monthly call. Mr. Hashem, next month will be a bit to, as we approach Rosh Chodesh Alas Beis. We'll continue our learning together. Look for the email, and let's continue. Have a wonderful, good Chodesh.